0: Hi everybody and welcome to the Professor's In podcast. I am Dr. Karen Kelski of the Professor's In and as always I'm delighted that you're here with us today. Before we get started um, I'd like to just give a shout out to our sponsors and our sponsors as always are you the listeners. We are very grateful to those of you who choose to become sponsoring members of our podcast and if you haven't yet done that you can for $3.99 a month. And you will find that, the link, on every single podcast episode description on the website, as well as finding it at the URL of bit.ly slash ourpod, which is O-U-R-P-O-D. So head over there. You can become a member. And once you do, you get access to a bunch of perks and a community over on Mighty Networks and free webinar recording and very deep discounts that I'm offering right now on a variety of things related to our new LinkedIn webinar series and um, stuff like that. So thanks a lot. Hi, this is Kel Weinhold from The Professor Is In. And if you
1: happen to have been a member today and gotten the link, you could be sitting in on our rather ridiculous beginning of our Zoom webinar with our guest today because we always like to have a Zoom recording of our guest. But today... We are excited because we have Dr. Jane Jones from Up In Consulting joining us today. And um, Jane and I are the creators of The Art of the Article, which is a 10-week course that walks you step-by-step through the article process. And we were talking the other day about our, the people we work with, and they're just boiling frustration at not being able to get their work accepted and their disappointment and their sadness and their everything and so we thought why don't we do a
2: podcast and talk about it so hi Jane welcome Hi Jane welcome hi thanks for having me I'm
1: excited to be here would you like to do just for those folks who don't know you and if you don't why are you sleeping on her come on now show up but
2: would you like to do a little intro and tell everybody all about you yeah, sure. I'm a writing coach and developmental editor. I run a business called Update Consulting. I've been running it for whew, seven years now. Feels like a decade. <laughs> <laughs> and what I do primarily is help academics learn how to write. So in addition to the Art of the Article program that I have with Cal, I also have a book coaching and editing program called Elevate. Which helps primarily tenure-track women write their first academic book, mm. either based on their dissertation or, you know, a brand new topic. And we do that through weekly feedback, writing instruction, and a lot of mindset coaching, so that you can stop doubting yourself and, you know, build your authority as a writer.
1: Fantastic! Thanks. The short version. The short version.
0: Oh. The, um, really cool <laughs> and so needed.
1: And um, can you remind everybody
2: what your handles are on Twitter and Instagram? Sure. On Twitter, it's Jane Joanne, J-A-N-E-J-O-A-N-N. And on Instagram, it's Jane Joanne, P H T.
1: Thank you very much. And your Instagram feed, because of course, I follow you on both of them, but your Instagram feed is such a great place for just daily little bits of advice that Mm -hmm. tie to your your regular columns. And I was also saying to Jane when I was speaking to her recently that she puts us to shame repeatedly with her regular and informative newsletter, and that we <laughs> really, that we are in the process <laughs> of hiring someone now to assist us in getting out a regular newsletter. So look for that too, folks. We really are going to do that. We've been a little bit in the weeds. I'm excited. Yes, I'm excited too. So-
2: No, you, you both have a regular podcast though. So that's a lot of work. Yes, it is.
1: It is. It is indeed. And- I think it's uh, I mean, we could do a whole, you and I and Karen could do a whole podcast on why people don't get their work done. But what we're going to talk about today is once it's done, why it's getting rejected. And mm-hmm. I know that you have like five things that you feel like people consistently do
0: that end up, that they end up in the rejection or the mm-hmm. desk reject pile. And let me just, before we get into the nitty gritty, let me just interject that this is some of the content that you cover in art of the article, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. um, all, everything. <laughs> that...
3: <laughs> Bless you.
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
2: allergic to great captions. <laughs> I was, I was going to
1: say we could cut that out, but I think we did just leave that right there. <laughs> we do. I think, all, I mean, not, I think all five of these things show up at different points in art of the article for mm-hmm. sure. I think that, um, you know, we of course love the thing that we created and think it's it's, mm-hmm. and I don't think we're wrong. I mm-hmm. think it's a an exceptionally thorough guide and that that will walk you through every step. I know. Are the are, do you want to go through them in like rank order or just random number order? Do you think that do you Maybe. think that they happen more often?
3: Ooh. Yeah.
2: Well, I think so. There are four that kind of happen after you submit like that editors or reviewers notice Mm -hmm. and there's one that I think actually prevents you from submitting in the first place which is in my opinion similar to like rejected it's like a Mm self-rejection right like you're just not even getting it out Mm -hmm. so if we want to talk about that one first it's definitely the one that would become first in the process
3: right
2: (laughs) we can start there and that's when you let a lot of self-doubt is screwed on your writing process you're just not getting things off your desk because you're constantly tinkering with them you're reading one one more thing mm-hmm. you're revising again mm-hmm. and the article just becomes it either becomes so big and unwieldy you keep adding things like it's an overstuffed suitcase or it's it's ready And it's fine. And you just don't believe that it's ready and it's Mm -hmm. fine. So it just languishes.
1: Right. Right. And, and I think the thing that's, that's, that's so frustrating about that for people is that, you know, you and I both know as coaches, the reasons people don't finish things are legion. Like they can Mm -hmm. come up with all sorts of reasons they didn't finish thing, but they all center down to fear. I'm Mm going to keep petting this. I'm going to read some more. I'm going to get more feedback. I'm going to add some more words. There's that Mm -hmm. fear of somebody saying no. And it's safe when it's in there in your little computer that you're petting on, petting it. So I think it's really one of the, one of the valuable places to say, and right. Like they might not like it. And it might, Mm -hmm. you know, it might get rejected. And I mean, because our brains can make it seem like it's going to be the end of our lives if that happens.
2: Mm-hmm. So Yeah, we certainly catastrophize at that moment. Like we imagine the most scathing review or, you know, that, you know, it's going to get rejected from one journal and we're never going to be able to submit it anywhere. And like you're saying, and even if it does get rejected, even if you do get a scathing review, you could still move on. Right. You know, you can process that. Feeling of frustration or embarrassment, Mm -hmm.
0: and submit it again. That's true. So, so and sometimes the reviews, as painful as they are, are are helpful. They're information, Mm -hmm. no matter what. Even when they seem to have totally missed the mark, that's information because then you know, oh, a really inaccurate reading of this is possible. Mm -hmm. So I need to tighten a few things up, or in my experience, more commonly, they're pretty decent. Mm-hmm. Not all of them, not 100%, but basically pretty good. I mean, pretty helpful. Pretty helpful. Pretty but- helpful. And then you, you really judiciously say, well, I find value in, you know, these three, and I think these other three are really off the mark, and I'm going to write a response around that. And mm-hmm. that's, that's where you're taking back your power you know, mm-hmm. you're in charge of your fate, right? I mean, you're not in charge of it in the sense you can't force a journal to accept your paper, but, but you can you, decide what you're you going to change. and what You're not, gonna decide, change. Uh, you're not ca- a total victim of the process. Mm-hmm. So I
1: guess for number one, here's my challenge to all of you out there. And this might get a laugh out of Jane, but um, here's your, here's your assignment, folks. Imagine it's going to work. Imagine that it's going to be successful. Like, imagine you're going to submit it and good things are going to happen. And you and I both know, Jane, that our, our clients are like,
2: why don't I'm you? are like, no, this? that's not
1: possible. <laughs> no, not I'm sorry, happen. my worldview does not allow for that. I was trained <laughs> to look for problems, not successes. So, so what do you tell people with yeah. Elevate when they are, like, stalling out?
2: you know normally one of the things i say and i've said this to article writers and book writers is that you know so much of reviewers about so much of reviews is about the reviewer
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and sometimes it's in a you know kind of like arrogant way but it's also in the they come with their training and their assumptions and their biases and biases aren't always you know like in a negative way, but a bias toward a certain type of literature, or bias toward a certain type of method. And they bring all of that. And like Karen was saying, you know, you have to filter all of that when you have to use all of that to analyze the reviews. You know, the reviews are not just this thing that's a direction of marching orders to you, and you have to go do everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like you're allowed to interpret them and respond to them. And yes claim your authority as the author, you know, so reminding people that they have the ability to do that. And people are often, and I think this is one of the, you know, mysteries of publishing that when people learn that for the first time, a lot of people are surprised. They're like, I don't have to do every single yeah, thing right, you right, tell me. Yeah. And it's like, no, if you can make a case for why that would be better for a separate article or why you can't do it with the data you have or you just don't think it's the right approach. Mm-hmm. If you can persuasively make that case, a journal editor is going to read it and, you know, make a decision, but they're not going to be like, oh, you didn't follow the instructions. Goodbye. You know, like that's not what's going to happen. So yeah. I think just even reminding everyone of that. Right. Yeah. takes right. a lot of you're like,
0: it Oh, I need to write another blog post about that. Yeah. I haven't written one in a long time. Just <laughs> reminding everybody. You don't have to accept all the reviewers. You don't, have to, to yeah, you don't have to agree to everything. Agree to everything. So yeah. what's number two? Number two. Number
2: two is submitting to the wrong journal. Right? Mm. Does that happen a lot? Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Karen's like, hmm. I think it does. I think that, you know, and I this one I think it depends on what stage you're at. And I think it happens in two different ways. So one is that you don't really research the fit. And I remember in Art of the Article, we have a section where we interview journal editors. And I remember one of the journal editors, Claudio, who writes, who edits qualitative sociology, saying that he would get papers that weren't qualitative research. Right. And it's called, and called like, qualitative the, And he's like, the name of the journal was qualitative right. sociology. Right. <laughs> you know, so... Even, and that's a really obvious example, but just thinking like, you know, if this is a journal, maybe it doesn't have in the name, but if I just go look at the issues and realize they don't really publish on family, you know, or they don't really publish heavily theoretical pieces. Exactly. Or they don't publish review articles. Just knowing those things before you submit because you're just, just wasting your time.
0: And knowing where the journal fits in the landscape of your discipline, in anthropology, mm-hmm. there are um, there are some journals that are really, you know, four field, but very, you know, more sort of STEM oriented. And then there are journals mm-hmm. that are pushing the theoretical edge. And then there are journals that are classic, yeah. old school ethnography. And you know, you have to know that landscape. Even mm-hmm. as a grad student, part of your job as a grad student is to learn that landscape. And figure out where do these journals fit and then figure out where you fit vis-a-vis the journals. Part a shortcut to doing that is to figure out what journals are you constantly citing from. Yeah, because wherever you're drawing your inspirational articles is probably going to be a pretty good indicator to where you are should maybe consider submitting later. Although again, that has to you have to think about the the status of the journal and whether grad students or junior mm-hmm. scholars can get into it easily or not.
1: But I think that mm-hmm. in mentioning the status of the journal, that that's why people go astray in where they submit, that mm-hmm. they hear the drumbeat over and over and over again. You have to have a high-ranking journal. You have to have a high-ranking journal. And so they go for the rank mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of looking at what's going to be published within what they can do. So,
0: okay. I don't know if yeah. that that's 100% true because I'm thinking about my past in area studies, Japan studies and anthropology, and I would see a lot of grad students publish in the Japan Studies journals, which are very easy. Well, let me not say that. That's not appropriate. Japan Studies journals are relatively easy to get into because they're just, frankly, there aren't that many Japan scholars in the world compared to how many anthropologists there are. Right, right. And so it's a much lower bar to get into the Japan journals or the Asia journals than it is to get it into an anthro journal and so, or, a, or a history journal. Right, and but so I want, people would would go that direction, not realizing that they were harming their credibility in their discipline because they were focused so heavily on the area. Right, but I think Maybe.
1: I would I would question your I mean when the when that analysis was going on for you. So if we're looking at two thousand eight two thousand nine as when everything started to crash and people got more and more and more hysterical about putting themselves in the right place for the job market, that I don't know that what was happening in the late nine nineteen nineties, 1990s, the late 20th century. (laughs) Oh, that's freaky. Anyway, that, that, I don't know. It's it's just kind of interesting to think about whether that shifted over time, because I hear people so much obsessing with the, the status of the journal. And I feel like Jane, when you and I were doing the art of the article, um, data test, right? When we were working with all those different people in person with the material so they could work through it and tell us where it wasn't hitting the mark and where it was. I felt like we heard that a lot. Do you remember
2: that? Or is that, am I just making yeah. it up? No, I think we did. And I think, you know, my background discipline is sociology. You know, so in sociology, there's definitely, you know, and I can't speak for other departments, but you know, the idea that if you're in this type of department, you have to publish in one of the top three. Mm-hmm. You have to publish in the flagships. Mm-hmm.
3: Right.
2: Or if you want to get a job in one of those departments, you have to be in one of the right beneath the flagships, mm-hmm. right? Sure. And I think that you know those pressures are real. And also not every article you write is going to make it into one of those journals. So it's really about making sure that the article you're working on now Is appropriate for that journal you know it's not to say you're never going to be able to right but and then doing the work to craft it for that journal like Mm -hmm. there are certain moves you need to make Mm -hmm. to qualify for a journal like that so when you talk about submitting to the appropriate journal as much as it's about picking the journal it's also about the way you craft your article to match that journal i think a lot of people well not a lot but i don't know how many actually but now you write a journal, you write an article, it's done, and you're like, okay, where should I send that? Right. The exact opposite approach. opposite approach. And we opposite approach in art of the article. We're like, you should really start thinking about that earlier. Right. You know, because you could save yourself a lot of grief
3: mm-hmm. when you
2: write, for instance, a 12,000-word article, and then you go to look at the journal, and they have an 8,000-word limit. Right. And
3: right. you're like,
2: well, there right. goes a third of my article. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What do I
3: do? And
0: what do you do with it is it isn't enough to become a second article. Right. You you have 4,000 words. What are you going to do with that? Right. So good point. Exactly. So you have just put yourself
2: in, you know, a situation again where had you done a little research, in the end you could have saved yourself a lot of grief. Right. You know, and trying to submit it there and being like, oh, well, let's see what happens. It's not going to happen because they have production costs. Mm -hmm. And especially now, paper's so expensive. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know. They're not going to be able to fit your 12,000-word article into their 8,000-word journal. And frankly, they might be a little annoyed well, yeah, that you tried. It's
0: going to be seriously pissed off, and they don't have time. They're not going to waste their time negotiating or something with someone who's just flagrantly disregarded their submission um, instructions. They're just going to be like, no.
1: Well, and I can tell you as a as a former magazine editor that this is this is one of the the sort of daily fury points of just these consistent mm-hmm. submissions where the mm-hmm. first sentence in your head is did you even look at what we do? Mm-hmm. did you look Fair at it because if you did, you wouldn't have sent me this so and I Fair think be. it's a big switch for academics to think about in advance what's your outlet mm-hmm. before what's your product you and know that's a journal yeah. I mean that's the the journalism influence thing of like, no, you have to think about your outlet. If you're a writer, yeah. you don't send off something to the New Yorker because it was a good article. You right. send it off because it matches the right. New Yorker style. Yeah. It doesn't match, mm-hmm. pick another one, I don't know, um, right. you know,
0: travel yeah, Oregon. Yeah, the <laughs> Atlantic. Yeah. Right, right. Well, what's super interesting is this level of pragmatism and strategizing is exactly what I constantly have talked about for 10 years about the job market. Mm-hmm. Which is mm-hmm. that, yeah, you have your research and your, you know, your theory and your data and all of this stuff and the point you're trying to make and your agenda, but none of that means anything until you've translated into something that you will get a job so you can keep doing it, mm-hmm. or that you translates it into what a journal needs so it can get published, mm-hmm. and that's kind of anathema. Th- that kind of strategic instrumentalizing thinking is anathema. Used to be really mm-hmm. to a lot of humanities folks, definitely. Yeah. Nowadays, much less mm-hmm. so. Now, yeah. the idea that you have to strategize is more accepted, but but yep. it's very similar. Yep, it is. It's yeah. like your ideas. ideas don't exist out in a, you know, I don't know. Yeah, in no, a I mean, like, world. Like, yeah they <laughs> like don't just float around over. like <laughs> bubbles you know? Like, <laughs> to, you
3: know I suddenly was land. thinking of
0: Rumi, and I'll meet you in a field and it's <laughs> like <laughs> <So laughs> my idea I don't know anyway
3: sorry <laughs> yeah
2: and I think you know it's with anything like any job because academia is a job and that's worth reminding people of like what are the rules you can break and what are the rules you can't right. like what can you get away with and what can't you get away mm-hmm. with you can't get away with going over workouts right mm-hmm. mm-hmm. drastically like you can't you know, maybe you can get away with, you know, structuring your literature review in a slightly different way, right? Or framing your analysis in a way that's new and innovative, right? But there are some things you can't get away with. So knowing how to negotiate, like, what is hard and fast, mm-hmm. and where the flexibility lies, is something you have to learn, you mm-hmm. know, like, it's an epistemological approach, right? Like, mm-hmm. how can this be created?
0: Right, for right, sure. And it shifts over time, because as you gain more mm-hmm. stature and status, you get to break more rules.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: For those of us whose work is primarily with early career scholars and researchers, we're always like, you have to follow the most rules. <laughs> right. well, mm-hmm. don't, and don't take advice from emeritus professors who are allowed to break all the rules. Right. You know, you have to yeah. make sure you're getting accurate advice. Anyway, we've, we've yeah. talked a lot about number two, shall we move, yes. move Number yeah. three. And that- Just to add one more thing to that, like, if you want to
2: write on other platforms where there's more creativity, go for it But recognize that, like, journals normally aren't the place for that, for better or for worse, you know? But there are other places you could share your knowledge and share your information. So it's not to say, like, you always have to be this, like, rule-following robot.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Like, in
2: this genre, there are are certain norms you have to follow. Yeah. And
0: then a lot of... Well, a lot of people talk about how their blog post gets read by, you know, seven thousand people, and their journal article got read by seven. Right, and you know that's worth considering. On the other hand, the blog post will not translate into a CV that gets you a tenure track job most likely, unless you're at a place where social influence counts. You know, and then those that's shifting over time as well. So anyway, but I just want to just just,
1: before we go to number three, I just want to insert for everybody who's thinking about this and like I don't write articles there's nothing that we're talking about that doesn't have to do with every single piece of writing you ever do A book. So it doesn't matter good. if you're writing a book or you're writing your dissertation or you're writing whatever. Mm-hmm. If you're not thinking about your reader, like you're the ultimate outlet for what you're doing, which is where in the opposite direction, we see people go with dissertations, right? People write, mm-hmm. want their dissertation to, they act like it's going to be a published work on the shelf. <laughs> and so they torture themselves yeah. trying to write right. a book mm-hmm. when it, it's like, it isn't a book. It's right. your dissertation. It's a hurdle. Just get it done. Right. But anyway, I just want to make sure to that it be
2: beautiful. Right.
1: And it doesn't have to just don't think this just applies to articles. Right. We just happen to be talking about articles.
2: So, yeah. I mean, think about grant proposal. Like right? you got to follow all the rules. Right.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Know yes. how they do it and follow it. Don't yeah, play games. Like yep. No exceptions in a
2: grant
0: proposal. Yep.
2: Wow. All right. Three. The next one is making sure you have a strong clear argument. Right? Hmm. <laughs> Which is harder than You know, it sounds like oh, the obvious, but You know, if you talk to editors, a lot of editors are like, we don't see the clear reason why this needs to be an article. Like, the stakes are not there. Right. You know, and I think that that's, that is a function of there being little training Mm
3: -hmm. on writing
2: in graduate school. Right. Right. So how do you explain, like, why people should care beyond this is new? Right. Right. Nobody's ever done this
1: before. Maybe they shouldn't have. Mm -hmm. Why are you doing it? Maybe you shouldn't either. (laughs) Yeah, maybe (laughs) no one did it because no one should have. So I think that that, so I can't remember whether in this list we talked about, um, because I have no memory right now, whether we we separated argument and um, engagement with current things in the field. But I think that that's truly where I see things get rejected is you don't have a cl- mm-hmm. clear argument. like you, you can't say to me, mm-hmm. here's what my research shows. And you can't mm-hmm. say how it's in dialogue with the field and the place that that dialogue's taking place in this journal, right? So you can say, mm-hmm. here's my argument. Here's where it's taking place in the field. And like you said, this journal doesn't write in that corner or that section of the field. I guess fields don't have corners. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess they do. So, right? So... So you may have a clear argument, but it's not engaging with anyone else. Mm-hmm. if you can't tie it to a current conversation.
0: Mm-hmm. That's for sure.
1: Then they're like, "Oh, this doesn't even fit with what we're talking about right now." And I also think that's a place where young writers, they're like, "I found a thing," And they march out with their banner. "I found a thing. Mm-hmm. How's it in conversation with the field? "Well, the
2: field is stupid. I found a thing." <laughs> it's like, "Tie it to the field Yeah. Yeah, it's like when you hear the the statement nobody's ever written about this before. Oh. You're like, are you are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> are you 100% positive about that? You know, but then your argument is your your the significance of your argument is based on that assumption right. that nobody's ever written about this before. And, you know, I was talking about this earlier today actually like when you say that it's almost like you're daring somebody right, right? like the average human is going to be like really no one's written about it before let me go check right
1: And we find <laughs> out
2: especially us academics right because we like to go do research
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know so it's kind of like you're just you're just putting yourself in danger mm-hmm. so building the significance in terms of how you're in dialogue as opposed to just i'm different you know, and you could be different, like you could be distinct, but you're still distinct in relation to the field.
3: Right, right.
2: You know, so being able to explain that through a really clear argument, I think, is something that, you know, journals get a lot of submission. Right. And in order for yours to stand out, like you have to have a compelling point of view and argument. It can't just be novelty.
1: Right.
3: mm mm-hmm.
1: So I was talking to a writer the other day. We were working on a journal article together, and she was expressing, um, well, this was quite a while ago because we had a follow-up the other day, but she was expressing at the time her just extreme frustration that she kept writing and kept getting rejected and kept writing. And one of the things that she said to me sort of over and over again is people don't get what I'm doing. And I said, well, then your job to get accepted is to show them why they should get what you're doing, not just to stand out there and say you don't get it, but to go over and, and to actually stitch your work yep. to the edge of that conversation so they can, I said, you can see that there's a gap. They can't see a reason to cross the gap. So if you don't stitch mm-hmm. it to their stuff, you're going to keep getting rejected. Mm-hmm. So she went back and redid a particular article and, and really focused on those little sentences that said, and because of, and this is tied to, mm-hmm. and it got accepted right away. Oh, my. And all she needed to do mm-hmm. was take her argument, which was good, and make it relevant. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. here's a great argument. Is it relevant to what's happening right here? So yep. I just think it's it's such a... Gr- I don't think people give enough attention to a clear argument that ties to the field.
0: Mm-hmm. I was just going to say that sometimes, especially grad students and early career scholars are... Um, are not clear on how on how it fits into the right. field, at all, or mm-hmm. that it or that they need to make that case, right. or that mm-hmm. that they. Um, what am I trying to say? That they are that they are. It's almost like um, it takes intellectual confidence to do that. Mm-hmm. I I don't know that that was your client's issue, but I know a lot of folks don't necessarily feel that they're. Um, qualified to be in dialogue with these major, these published writers and yeah. intellectuals yes. who are already in the journals and maybe have been in the journals for the last 15 years. And it's like, am I, 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 mm-hmm. do they, do you even real, did do does, you know, people don't even necessarily realize they're allowed to respond to them and say, well, you got mm-hmm. this right, you know, but there is still this gap. And yeah. here's how I'm going to fill it. So a good advisor will empower their students to do that.
2: Yeah, for sure. I completely agree that, you know, going back to the idea of self-doubt, like, you know, you just don't feel like you're qualified to do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that just it just comes with trying again and again and again until you feel maybe not more confident, but just more used to doing mm-hmm. it. Right. So you're like, I'm I'm gonna say that I'm in dialogue with these people who were my mentors. I'm gonna say I'm in dialogue with these people I read in grad school. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be scary, and I have to do it. Like I can't wait until I'm not scared to do it.
0: Right. right. Sometimes when I edit cover letters or research proposals where people have to describe their research, they spend a lot of time asking rhetorical questions, or they'll say thing mm-hmm. they'll say things like, "My dissertation takes up the question of, and it asks what would happen if, and it explores the concept of of such and such." And it's like a series of sentences like that, and then they move on. And I'm like, well, you just said, you just raised a bunch of questions <laughs> and delivered absolutely no answers. Right. And did you write mm-hmm. an entire dissertation and go to grad school for eight years to give us no answers? And sometimes they really don't know their own answer, oh. and that's a failure of grad training. But sometimes they really do know their own answer. They just haven't been trained to actually like, write it and commit to right, it and put it right. on paper and say, indeed, in contrast to others, I believe I have found this. So mm-hmm. I think that's true. And
1: so Jane, when you're working with you, the all the years that you've been working with journal article writers, what do you see? I guess uh, I'm really interested in what you've seen as the as the things lacking in arguments. I, I don't know if I my, my question is really terrible, but I'm trying to get yeah. at this sense of like, okay, mm-hmm. all these people come to you and they don't have a well developed argument. Mm -hmm. What do you feel like is the biggest um, gap or hole that you see consistently or do you see consistent holes?
2: I think that's a really, that's a really good question to think about it for a minute. I think part of it is, you know, there's no kind of chronology or cause and effect. Like you're like, well, this happened and then what? right, right. <laughs> you know like what what happened next like did anything happen next and it's not that you always have to have a causal relationship you know like to speak to the social scientists out there but you know one thing happens and another thing happens right so like how are they related are they equal in significance? you know does one happen before the other like kind of showing the reader what the relationship is between the things you're studying and the literature Right. And then also being able to, you know, again, like go back to like, what, why should people care besides you? Like, of course you care because it's really interesting and fascinating to you. But, you know, if you want to take an empathetic approach to your reader and be like, what, what will they take away from this? You know, so that might be significance for the field. It might be a broader significance, you know, about some, value or a social problem or a puzzle mm-hmm. but what is it and then carrying whatever the answer is like through the article right yep. not just saying it and then never talking about it again and it's like well what happened mm-hmm. <laughs> like I think you said you were going to explain this relationship and then you explain one side of it but you didn't explain the other and that kind of gets more into the structure
3: of the or article but right
2: yeah like the why does it matter mm-hmm. But
1: I think you hit the nail on the head. We see this a lot. I see this a lot in prepping people for job interviews. When they when they go to make their quote unquote argument, they give their r- research. Like they say, I studied this and people were doing this and this was happening in this time frame and people were saying this in and so, like
0: ninety <laughs> one.
1: Right, but the, okay, great. <laughs> and so they 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 present all of their research without ever drawing <laughs> telling you the so what or the yes and so. I think you nailed it if if everybody out there listening is frustrated with being rejected go back and see if you have a banner you know karen talks about you got to have the banner that you're marching into the arena with what does your banner say Mm -hmm. what what does it say you people need to know this i mean don't put it that way in your article please but there Mm -hmm. has to be a clear message delivered and it has to match the journal and
2: yada 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 Mm -hmm. I was going to say, just to do like a quick example of you were writing about bring up something controversial, you know, like vaccine resistance and misinformation. Right. Right. And you're like, OK, I find that people don't get vaccinated because they're exposed to misinformation. OK, that's not an argument. That's an observation. <laughs> that's a result. And, what? Right. <laughs> and then
0: what? It's you so know, good. like, yeah.
2: That's and not what? an argument.
0: That's an observation. Right. Yep.
2: You know, so then, so then what happens?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So if you were writing for a public health journal you have a very different so what? And this compromises, you know, like public health infrastructure because we're overloading hospitals with mm-hmm. people who have COVID, et cetera, et cetera, right? right? So that might be one way to argue it. Another way might be like, this is a function, you know, this is a threatened, threatens democracy, right? Because people are not trusting institutions. They're instead going to all of these, you know, dark places on the internet to get information instead of trusting, you know, education, science, et et cetera, right? right? Two very different ways to state the significance Mm -hmm. that would be crafted for different journals or different audiences,
3: right? right? Such a good example,
2: Jane. Oh, thanks. And thinking through, like, who's reading and why do they care? Like, if you don't care about public health, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: or, you know, if you're not a public health scholar, but you're a policy scholar. What's in for this
0: reader? Exactly. Then you're going to be the oh, what's happening to our to democracy and our institutions mm-hmm. and faith in them? They're both equally yeah. valid arguments. They're probably not the same. They're not both going to show up in the same article. Right.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So it's not a matter of one being better than the other. It's just what am I doing? Right. What right. am I doing in this article? Who am I writing for? What's my background? What literatures do I want to be in? dialogue with in
3: conversation. Mm
0: -hmm. I might point out that that's actually a challenge for interdisciplinary scholars, because Mm -hmm. I can imagine an interdisciplinary scholar saying my work bridges public health and political science. And so I'm going to address this vaccine resistance thing. And then they get it, they end up really muddy. And Mm -hmm. it ends up very muddy in terms of um, the journal's being able, what journal to submit to and whether the journal will accept it or not. Because it's like, well, we're a public health journal and 75% of this is about politics. That's just not our remit. And so interdisciplinary scholars have a special hill to climb in terms of making sure that they're continually crafting, um, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that everybody waves the flag of of interdisciplinarity, the Mm -hmm. fact is most journals are disciplinary. And so Mm -hmm. then you have to say, this is primarily public health. This is primarily political science. Right. 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 Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and then, and then we- you know, do you want to make an argument like public health is influenced by politics? Mm-hmm. Then you have to build that argument you do. in order to then, like you have to build, that's another argument, right? Yeah, like then you have to argument. prove that to your reader, convince yep. your reader, like these two things go together. And then I can talk about this case
0: mm-hmm. that I
3: have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So the worst case scenario is they say, you're doing poli-sci and we're a public health uh, journal, the best case scenario is, oh my gosh, I never realized how much public health needs to incorporate political science. What have we been doing all this time? So if you Mm -hmm. do it well, you have persuaded them that your approach is not just valid but essential. But if you haven't, then they're just like, we don't understand what you're doing. And I think Mm -hmm. we can
1: go back to your original number one, Jane, of the Mm -hmm. insecurity thing. (laughs) Of the of the continuing mm-hmm. to, to to try to say it all, I think a lot of times that that young writers try to put the, everything in their first article. Everything I've ever studied <laughs> and done in this project has got to go into this article. Yeah. Instead of pulling out and saying, "I'm going to look at vaccine resistance and its impact mm-hmm. on public health as it relates to hospital spaces and." Uh, increases in heart attack deaths, right? So that's a very mm-hmm. specific, here's my question. This is the method mm-hmm. I used, and this is what I found. And instead, we'll see mm-hmm. people like vaccine resistance, it's affecting the hospitals, it's affecting public policy, it's affecting this. It's it's like, wait, mm, you've
0: got there's s- Facebook. There's and-
1: Facebook, right? <laughs> so so getting a very clear question leads can't helps mm-hmm. you lead to a very clear argument instead of, I am examining the impact of vaccine resistance. Oh, well done, you. See you next decade.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that leads to actually the fourth point, which is like being really clear about your approach and like what you intend to do in this article, right? Like you were saying like, I intend to address X, Y, and Z Mm -hmm. and not being vague about it. You know, I'm gonna prove this argument through this type of analysis, this type of data, Mm -hmm. And this really well-crafted research question. So not just saying, you know, like I interviewed hundred people and they live in the Midwest or anything like that, but having a really pres- having a lot of precision in your question and your method. And that might be like a here, the humanities father thing. We don't do that. But you have an approach to <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. <If laughs> you know, you, you, have, an you okay. have an approach to and it's okay.
2: And you explain it differently than social science too. And even among social scientists you know we explain it differently too but even if you're just being really clear with yourself Mm -hmm. before you sit down to write so you can have that more narrow focused analysis and not feel compelled to go in every different direction in the in the article
1: yeah so this reminds me of course of our beta tests this you know beta tests are a few years old now because of the part of the article has been out for a while but the, the humanities folks that we had in the beta test that we intentionally had in the beta test who arrived at every weekly coaching session saying, but I don't do that, but I don't do that. And us spending our time saying you do that. You just don't put it in individual sections in your mm-hmm. article. But if you don't actually look at what am I looking at? Why am I looking at it? How am I looking at it? And to mm-hmm. what end? Your article is going to be a mess, which is why I think humanities people wander in the wilderness much longer. I also think mm-hmm. it under, it's un it it undermines the humanities to claim you don't have a method. Mm-hmm. So if you want to call mm-hmm. it approach, great, but to claim that you're not doing anything is to lie. Basically, well, the word
0: but, theory does a lot of work in right. the humanities to stand in for methods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wish that people would just own that and say, well, if you're using Mm -hmm. a certain theoretical orientation, that means you're asking specific questions and you're reading your text in a specific way. And that is a method, Mm -hmm. even though we don't call it that. We call it theory. But the other thing that I just want to point out is the coming out of from the cover letter world, the job application world, is that sometimes I get humanities cover letters and the, the research, you know, paragraph will be like, you know, I explore, you know the transnational iconography of the image of the ocean and the sea and the tidal elements and the tidal push and pull and relationship of humanity and, or, and populations and cultures. And they'll go on and on and on like this. And I'll be like, what book did you read? <laughs> right. what? What's, what, does it have a title? <laughs> uh, who wrote it? Right? Mm-hmm. When did they write it? Like the, people mm-hmm. forget to say the basics, like I read mm-hmm. these three novels written by these three authors who were writing at this place and time in opposition to this sort of political event or in or in ten, tangential with it and um and 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 people in the deep humanities get so absorbed in their weird abstractions that they forget that readers mm-hmm. actually do need to know who, what, when, where, and how mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And that putting all of that out there makes everything else you do easier. Yeah. Right. Like bringing the reader to the same page as you, like catching them up with you means that everything else you write, they're going to get so much more quickly. and You don't have to do as much signposting, backtracking, contextualizing, because you've explained all that already. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're actually doing yourself a service. You like really it's not are. to say you just have to do this just because. Yeah.
0: Well, sometimes it too, makes it easier for you. If you remember that you f- discovered this book, this novel, you had to read it for the first time before you d- decided to write a dissertation on it. If you remember, mm-hmm. oh, it's this novel by this author who wrote it at this time in a community of these kinds of, of writers, you remember that others are also journeying that same path. They're also encountering this mm-hmm. novel, this writer, this community. So it does really important work in terms of remembering who your some of your audience is.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: They're not mm-hmm. the pe- they don't live inside your brain. I think people yeah. forget that.
1: Right. They
0: they live inside yeah. your
1: head to frighten you into not writing, but they don't <laughs> live inside your brain in terms right. of being able to understand in, what the hell you're talking In terms of about. understanding what right. what you're trying
0: to do, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, sure. All right. And then our last one is, I think this is Cal's favorite. This is about the abstract. Oh, yes. (laughs) Abstract.
1: Abstracts are Cal's favorite. Everybody just hold on for a second. I'm going to make a statement. I need you to hold on to a surface. So in case your knees get weak, you write the abstract first. Hey, are you breathing now? Everybody take a deep breath, let your spinny head clear and, and Jane's gonna tell you why you write the fucking abstract first or at least <laughs> don't lose track of it.
2: When we teach abstract writing, we teach that the abstract is a roadmap for you. Right. Right. So it gives you direction of how the article's going to unfold. So rather than just sitting and believing that, you know, I'm gonna start with the first sentence and just write straight through this article you set an agenda for yourself in the beginning Mm -hmm. also because the abstract holds so much importance in terms of the review process you want to spend time like working on it in the beginning and then of course going back and revising it but not treating it as the item that you dash off at the end Mm -hmm. so when you do it first you are by definition prioritizing it so making sure that you start there i think people often think that the abstract shouldn't reveal too much because then people aren't going to want to read the article. That's a myth. That is a myth. You want people to be excited and tell them where you went, where you're going in the article, so they can decide if they want to go with you. You know, so being really upfront and transparent in the abstract and people are like, well, should I put my whole argument? Should I put
0: my conclusion? Yes. Yes, yes you should. Yes. <laughs> yes, you should. Yes, you
3: should. <laughs> you should. It's funny you the impulse should.
0: to be coy mm-hmm. that, that permeates the world of academia, uh, not giving things away. And I'm like, you know, it's, it's okay. <laughs> you, you can tell us. I mean, yeah, the fear of ideas being stolen is, I mean, it's not nil danger is not non-existent but but your abstract Mm -hmm. won't do it that's not where it
2: happens your abstract will not do it at all and also you know at that point even if you think of the after publication point if you want people to read your article most people read abstracts Mm -hmm. and then decide if they want to download the article that's true right you know that's what most people have access to before they have to go into whatever you know, PubMed, gay store situation, <laughs> right, yeah. you know, so you want to make sure that it's a well-crafted abstract, not only for the editors and the reviewers, but also for your future reader, because that's going to, you know, I mean, I remember when I was reading, you know, like on the years track, like if the abstract wasn't telling me what was in that article, <laughs> right. right. I'm not going to spend my time. Unless it was from someone that I knew wrote a lot in that area. I, time is a factor. It's like, I don't know if I kind to this.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure. Yeah.
0: You know, and like, a good abstract will, will lay out the topic. It'll lay out the context. It'll sketch the methods. It'll mm-hmm. give, it'll have a, the theory, the theoretical orientation, if you have that. And the conclusion and the contribution. And that will, can happen in six sentences. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and each a sentence wow. per thing I just mentioned, and you've got an abstract. Mm-hmm. That's and, all you need. And I don't know if, if um, I don't know if this
1: will, I'm not sure this will make you feel good, Karen, but I tell people all the time that the best blog post mm-hmm. on the blog of the entire professors in thousand articles of, on the blog ten years of blogging. is how to write a conference abstract. Yeah. And, and if you can go, if you can follow that model, if you have thought out enough to be able to do a rough draft of that model which we mention in the art of the article but we walk you through mm-hmm. step by step what goes here how do you decide that what you know and mm-hmm. that it is a work in progress and i think you mentioned that sort of offhandedly that it will be of course mm-hmm. you'll be changing it but it's your guide and it's the thing you keep adapting as you go along with the article so it's not
3: mm-hmm.
1: it's not your mandate It's like you wrote, you know, hammered it out with a chisel and a hammer into stone. It's, it's something that you keep as your, as your, you know, your light that you're heading toward Mm -hmm. and then say, Oh, wow, that changed. I need to change my abstract. So it changes
2: all the way through the process. Yeah. Yeah. And it can also keep you, you know, focused when your article gets kind of unwieldy and you're like, oh no, I said I was going to do this thing right. and now I'm doing this totally other thing. Should I do it?
3: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: Maybe I should. Right. But I noticed that I'm doing something that's completely different to what right. I intended to do. Like having that awareness
0: mm-hmm. is really helpful. Right. You can clarify, uh, I have to go back to my original direction or I have to change what I said I was going to do to reach the place mm-hmm. I reached or this is actually two articles, one of which is going to go here and one of which is going to go there. Right. Like you have these different options, and they're all equally good. You just have to decide mm-hmm. what, do you, what is your data, what is your material support, and the journal. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. <laughs> which the is where I was going to go before. next is that the abstract also, mm-hmm. working with the abstract first, you work with your yeah. abstract first in relation to the journal that you want to send it to. Yeah. So if you look at the abstracts they're expecting – Right. So this is the abstracts. This is how they publish abstracts, gives you a tremendous mm-hmm. amount of information about how yours should be structured, which gives you a tremendous, tremendous amount of information of how your article should be structured. I mean, there's just the, the you know, yes, you're right. I could talk about abstracts for a lot. <laughs> I'll just be quiet now.
0: <laughs> but truly, abstracts are my...
1: <laughs> you know the, but you my know, rant. the
0: way that you're describing the abstract and i think it's great i think it's fantastic especially for articles but um is very much akin to and i don't want us to go down this rabbit hole but it's very akin to what i talk about when i talk about outlining yes yes mm-hmm. it for is sure. the way it is very similar to the way that you outline yeah mm-hmm. like i'm going to put the yeah. key points except here. that outlines can get infinitely long they can they right. can expand mm-hmm. to 20 pages there's no harm in that but an abstract is, has mm-hmm. to stay in about six to 10 sentences, something like yeah. that. Depending on your publication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And when we teach in the
2: art of the article, you know, like the MRAD structure, like control method, results, analysis, and discussion, like every one of those sentences in the abstract maps onto one of those right. parts. Right.
3: Right. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, so then you take them and you drop them into the outline and go from there. Mm-hmm. You know, so it really does be double duty for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In that, you know, it's not like just write the outline, put it on a shelf, write your article, come back, yeah, it, <laughs> you know, like it. you're us- you're literally using it a structure Yeah. like in a very pragmatic way, like mm-hmm. you're implementing it in every part of your article.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But you know, you're saving yourself work. That's great. We like that. <laughs>
1: and I just want to add one more time for all of you out there who just said, well, I don't do IMRAD articles. Yes, you do. In every single part, in every single one of your articles, each of those things is taking place. You may be an art historian who is doing mm-hmm. that in each section or each paragraph or each painting mm-hmm. that you're looking at, but all of those things exist in your article. And if they mm-hmm. don't... And what are the things? Introduction, methods, methods results. results. What did I just forget? An- analysis, analysis and, and discussion. discussion. Right? Those
2: all... Exist.
0: Mm-hmm. And even if you don't use those words. Right. And mm-hmm. fight me.
2: Yeah. Go ahead. Some people say results and discussion. Yeah. I like to say analysis and discussion. Yeah. But you know, I was making a metaphor this morning about this. You know, there they could be five different strands. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the way you would are organize like a social science art article for the most part. Or they could be a braid. Right. Where they're interwoven together throughout the article. So it's like, which one are you doing? if right. you have the strand.
1: Right. What a nice image. And one of the things I've done with writers over the years on that particular thing is had them have them pull them apart and look at each one of them. And it's okay to put it all back together. But you really have to know each of them to be able to effectively do it the way that you want to do it. And so if you're, if you can't answer each of those things, if you can't find it in your article, step out for a minute and ask yourself, okay, what what were my methods here? What? Mm-hmm. What results did I get? What am I claiming? What, what's my argument? What's my discussion or analysis and discussion? So, all right. Cool. Well, you taught me, and when I was talking to you on the phone the other day, you said the most awesome question that I've heard on a podcast, and I'm going to use it from now on. So what have we talked about in all the things that we've talked about today? Is there anything that we missed and you want
2: to add to the conversation? I think we covered everything. Okay. <laughs> you know, I think, and I think, you know, the you know, one thing I would say is, you know, we're talking about, you know, kind of missteps people make and they're not missteps you make because you're bad at scholarship or you're bad at research, writing articles is a highly specialized skill. Mm. And when you think of the number of people who have PhDs and the number of them who are in academia or like a similar field, like writing research articles, it's incredibly small. So Mm -hmm. like the fact that you don't, aren't an expert of this, the first, second, or even third, fourth, fifth try doesn't mean anything besides for the fact that you're learning. Right. You know, so as we tell you about all of this, it's, you know, of course, save you from making some mistakes that we have identified from working with people and also being scholars, you know, for so long, but it's not to imply that, you know, you don't know what you're doing or you're wrong or, you know, there's some type of, you know, incompetence you have as a scholar. That's not the case at all. Please remember this is super specialized work.
0: I appreciate you saying that so much. Because I think a lot of folks who I hear from, they hear from their advisors that they, the opposite of what you just said, that if you don't know how to do this, you don't belong. Right. What's your problem? And that's such a shame. And it's so incorrect. It is a shame. Because everybody has to learn. It's just a question of how much like inherited knowledge did you come into this with? You know, how much privilege did you come into this with? Mm-hmm. And and what level, what quality of advising did you get early on? And that's mm-hmm. really uneven. And some people, um, you know, you have to learn it. So it's a question mm-hmm. of when and how, and and it takes mm-hmm. time. Well, and,
1: and yeah, and how many people went to graduate school and had a dedicated course on article journal article writing? Nobody. Nobody. Well, oh, I mean, you know what? Not we nobody. did a survey, survey, and we there was a tiny percentage that yeah. it had though. Jane and I did a survey of. Mm-hmm. of you know, she. I think you did it mm-hmm. on Twitter, and mm-hmm. we followed up in different ways.
0: And it's a, It happens. Yeah. No, I know somebody who does. But a it's a on super
1: that. tiny and group Andrew. of people, and mm-hmm.
0: and I think you make an
1: exceptional point that it's a super specialized thing yeah. that very very few people do. Add that you get no training in it, and then that you're asked to perform at Olympic level, and yeah. what other specialized field do we say? <laughs> Okay, here we see you have talent. That's awesome. We train you. Take you. The scalpel. We, right, take, take this. Well, no, it's like we see you. Oh, yeah. We see you have speed. We see you have you know drive. Mm-hmm. We see you have all this stuff, and you sat in some classes that sort of talked to you about form. Mm-hmm. Now go run the hundred meters at the Olympics. Yeah, <laughs> and you're like, yeah. and then and be like, off. why are you last? It's like, <laughs> yeah, because I don't have a and and you know. Because I don't have anybody telling me, right. which is you know, so much of our, yeah. you know your motivation and the professors in Karen has certainly been um righteous rage. And I think that you know, when we first started talking about this, Jane and I first started talking about this, there was a little bit of that like nobody teaches them a fucking thing. We gotta help mm-hmm. people out mm-hmm. here. yeah, it's 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 not hard. It's work, mm-hmm. but it's not hard. Once you accept that it's done away right. and you
2: need to learn the way.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's mm-hmm. An- yeah. Yeah. And I would argue even that even if you did have a course in grad school, if you had one course. Right. You know, people that whole NFAs memory have it. Like you exactly. know, like mm-hmm. most mm-hmm. most professional people have continuing ed after they've like continuing legal education, right? Or like uh, continuing professional development after they've earned their degree. Exactly. But for some reason, in academia, it's like, oh, you know, go to a workshop and figure it out. And it's like, that's really not enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like this is something, a skill you have to hone. That's why we call it a practice, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you have to work on improving it. So, you know, even if you did have a course in grad school, which would be awesome, and I wish more people did, it wouldn't be the end of learning how to write journal articles. Mm-hmm. You know, there's still, still so much more to learn and, you know, hone your skill and build your craft. And there's, if you're going to do it forever, you may as well know how to do it the right way, you know, forever, like for all of
1: your career. And if you're going to do it repeatedly in a changing environment with different levels of competition, I mean, getting back to the coaching athletes kind of things, you know, okay, you have all this, okay. You went to all these different tennis things. Okay. You became Serena Williams. Now we're just going to leave you without a coach for the rest of your career or we're going to leave you without any additional guidance on how to work on your backswing or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So it's just that it is truly the, one of the most toxic parts about the Academy to me is this, like, here's a degree, do all the stuff.
0: Good luck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted yeah. to say that there are people who have there, there, there are variations in innate talent and aptitude, some people really love to write, some people are fast mm-hmm. writers, some people have a really even in the narrow realm of academia they really they have an artistry to it and mm-hmm. and then some people don't, but there's room for for everybody past at a certain past a certain level right I mean you don't you mm-hmm. can write clunky prose in academia if you get your point across and you make an argument and do all the stuff we just talked about for the last podcast episode mm-hmm. you there's room for you in academia it doesn't have to be beautiful which is actually a nice thing about academia i think but anyway so you so you may you know fi- you'll be like I n- i'll never write like that person well maybe you won't or maybe you won't right now maybe you will later mm-hmm. but you know that's okay you don't have to do it the way other people do it
1: well and it's just like yeah your, for sure yeah just like whatever great sure. teacher you had that said you want to get better at writing right mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah well Thank you for that those final words because they were that was
0: the best part.
1: Yes. Oh, I don't know if I agree with that. I think our five (laughs) points are very valuable.
0: (laughs) Who invited you to this conversation? (laughs) Dang. So if you want more of this brilliance and instruction. Then go and get The Art of the Article. Which you can find at Yeah, under immediate
1: help. Under immediate mm-hmm. help. But more importantly, if you have come to the end of this podcast and you would like a 25% discount Ooh. to The Art of the Article in the month of October, email me at TNL, T as in Tom, N as in Nancy, L as in late, at theprofessorsin.com. TNL stands for The Next Level, which we'd like to get you to. So... TNL at theprofessorisin.com, and I will send you a code for 25% off on registering for the art of the article in the month of October.
0: And, of course, if that all confused you and you don't know what's going on, you can just contact us through any of our, <laughs> our many, many platforms, Twitter, Facebook, DM, email, and we will make sure you get the information. Yes, we absolutely will,
1: <laughs> if that was too confusing.
0: <laughs> all right. Be fun.
1: Thank you. Take I really care, everyone. It.